Welcome to New Hope's Sermon of the Week. We truly hope you're blessed as you listen to this week's message. Well, it's great to see so many people, new people. Cameron, his lovely wife, yeah. is back there. Cameron Woo! Duncan. Misty, I believe, right? Good to see you and so many others here that I don't want to try to go through all of them because I will miss someone and feel bad. Um, but this is so great. What a good family. It's good to see it uh, packed out. And We were joking with some friends. This is like the Super Bowl of Christianity you know, today, right? <laughs> Jonathan, that was a good line. Uh, the Super Bowl of Christianity. It really is a big deal. It really is a big deal. And it's good that we make it a big deal. Um, you know, so it's just kind of funny. So uh, we do these things on the Easter egg hunts, you know, and we had a big Easter egg hunt for the town of Chilai. I don't know if any of the parents here brought their kids like we did. Um, Easter egg hunts are fun. You know, I see churches doing them. And, you know, it's a, a lot of fun. Um, you know, but the interesting thing for me as a parent, when you release your kids to do the Easter egg hunt, it's like, I, I feel like as a parent, we have a little bit of a competitive streak, you know, um, or at least maybe I do. But it's like, I want my kids to come away with the most candy possible, you know, so it's like, how can we strategize, you know, so you got the town, they did this amazing thing at Roberts Western College for Easter egg hunts. And, you know, they had it by age group. It was really well organized. You know, they had uh, lots of volunteers out there. It had a big, wide-open area. Um, you know, it was like hundreds of kids running to pick up Easter eggs. It was incredible. Um, so the whistle blew, even like our young Juliana, like the whistle blew, and she just froze. And by the time she realized what was going on, all the eggs were gone, and she had like two, you know. So, so I saw that happen. I was a little bit irritated, right? We were there with friends and doing this thing, and... So I'm like, okay, there's got to be a better way. They just don't know, you know how to do this thing yet. So we go, my older kids, and we go to this big wide open field, and they, you know, they set up all the ground rules. They don't want everyone to, just, you know, two people to come away with all the eggs, even though there's hundreds of kids. So they li- they're lining them all up. They're giving all the kids instructions. And I'm with my kids, my three girls. You know, I have four girls, so I make no apologies. I want them to do well in life, and I want them to succeed and get a lot of candy. Uh, so I'm going to do whatever I can to help them, you know. So I'm telling them, literally, I'm with all three of them. I'm like, okay, the thing you need to do is all the other kids aren't going to think about this. You need to run all the way out to the end and then work your way back. You know, just don't start right here with all the eggs. You're going to get trampled. You're going to get run over. There's like hundreds of kids. You know, you're not going to get enough. You need to run all the way out to the end. You need to work your way back. You're going to grab tons of eggs. It's going to be great. You're going to win. So they're like, okay, great, you know, so we line up, and, you know, they did amazing, you know, they went out, I mean, they had so many eggs, I felt, you know, a little bad, uh, but, <laughs> right, uh, so it was fun, we had a fun time eating all the candy and everything, so that was cool, I felt good, and then I saw this article come up on the internet uh, from a mom's group. And I felt a little bit convicted as I read this. So I thought it was really funny. Joy and I were reading it one night. And it was this article called Rules for the Community Easter Egg Hunt. And it was you know, from a blog called Stuff Moms Say. So I'm like, oh boy, I feel like I'm in for it here. So I'm just going to read a little bit of it. Maybe it will help some others out here also that need help you know, as parents and how to like, pull it back a little bit. 
But it said, all right, it's that time of year again. Parents around the world will honor the resurrection by behaving like complete hooligans over 25-cent pieces of chocolate. Can we all agree once and for all that Easter egg hunts should be fun for all kids? We shouldn't even have to lay down rules. It should be common sense. Um, So rule number one, monitor your older kids. If your nine-year-old is mowing down toddlers to fill up a Walmart bag of brightly colored eggs, we know two things are true. First, your child is a future Ted Bundy, and you have failed as a parent. Second, if you don't do something, I will. You think I'm afraid to trip a fourth grader for the greater good? I assure you, I'm not. This is an intense mom. You know, it's great. Rule number two, feel free to help your babies, but you're not grocery shopping. So nothing is cuter than seeing a little kid in their Easter best go out and get green in a green field spotted with eggs. Go ahead and help your kid a little gather four to five eggs. It's great for photo ops. We get it. But the minute you start hoarding eggs like it's the end of days and cheap chocolate is the new currency, you need to pump the brakes. Your 10-month-old can't even eat half that stuff. So who are you gathering like a chipmunk for? Ask yourself, why are you getting so excited about free candy that you're willing to ruin the experience for other kids? Take a big step back. So I said, okay, very practical, help. Rule number three, tell your kids when to stop. Nobody expects a three-year-old high on peeps to know when to tap out. If your preschooler's basket is full to the brim and, that is, uh, and he is now resorting to stuffing eggs down his pants, grab your child by the backpack leash and say, that's enough. <laughs> Tackle him by the waist if you want to. Three-year-old kids can be quick. This is called parenting. If he starts crying, at least you know he's going to sleep really well later. This is how we raise considerate people who know they are not the center of the world and don't take up multiple parking spaces in front of Best Buy. <laughs> Wait, there's more. (laughs) Rule number four, don't steal the other kids' candies. I can't believe I have to type this out, but here goes. Stealing is wrong. If you see an unsupervised basket, that doesn't mean you can pick it up and put it in your car. What's wrong with you? Get help. Why are you even in public? You're not even fit to be among us. (laughs) Rule number five, I have to edit slightly. Calm the something down. This isn't the Hunger Games. Your child is not in the arena, and this isn't a life-or-death situation. Please tell your little Katniss that Easter egg hunts are not competitions. Tell her that everyone can go home happy, and the goal isn't to, quote, beat anyone else. So uh, I thought that was very practical. Also, that was the fifth rule, and then they ended it with a little tip. Feed your kids something other than Tang before they show up. Take them to the bathroom. Let them know that if they act the fool, you'll throw their basket in the dumpster behind McDonald's on the way home. Do what you have to to make sure your family doesn't ruin the day for another family. You've got this. Follow these rules, and hopefully we can make community Easter egg hunts fun again. Let's do it for the kids. So, so, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that felt slightly convicted at that. I don't know. But I feel like that could help some other people. Anyone with the strength of competition in their life? <laughs> the five strengths competition? Yeah, I saw some hands go up. I'm glad our softball coach has competition, though, in his strength, so that's really good. Um, so, yeah, that just really made me laugh. Um, but, you know, we, we joke about it, but seriously, uh, this day, honestly, is a big deal. Big deal. Um, 
you know, if you didn't have the birth of Christ, you wouldn't probably have a couple chapters in each of the Gospels, but if you didn't have the resurrection, we wouldn't even have a New Testament. I mean, it really wouldn't be a lot to write about, or certainly wouldn't be very interesting. Um, so I want to start and just share some thoughts today, bring us through, you know, I, see, I don't know about you, but you know, even online and stuff, I see a lot of things about what this day means, and some of the memes and you know, things I see are like, um, no, that isn't what it means. Uh, this is, it's an amazing day, it's a victor, victorious day, uh, a celebration of Christ, uh, what he went through, the love that he poured out. Uh, so we're going to hit some of those themes today, but I also want to kind of tie it into, you know, I feel like, I don't know about you, but as, as we go through this, as we sing these songs, I like reflecting on every aspect. Uh, it's amazing to me to know that he suffered. I think we need to see things like the passion of the Christ to know what he went through, you know, in our westernized view, sometimes we, we lose some of that stuff. Uh, so I love that. I love singing songs like we did today, Amazing Love. Um, I love celebrating the resurrection. I love knowing that he ascended and he went to heaven. You know, he, he's at the right hand of the Father. Then the Spirit was poured out. And there's so much to, like, talk about, celebrate. Um, but it also comes with a responsibility for us. And there's a mission that we're part of because of what he did. So I want to talk a, a little bit about that today. I want to go uh, almost kind of work a little bit backwards. So if you have your Bible, open them to. And I notice I don't hear as much page turning in this day and age. I hear more like little fingers tapping the screen and things whenever I do this, which is fine. I don't care. Um, so if you're there, uh, Matthew 10, 5, I, I just want to go through a little bit. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this is what Christ said when he sent out the twelve. This was before he died, before he resurrected, you know, before all that stuff happened. Um, make sure I'm in the right place. Okay. So Matthew 10. We're going to start on verse... Let's start on verse 5. We're not going to go through the whole thing. So Jesus sent out the twelve, instructing them, Don't go in the way of the Gentiles. Don't enter any city of the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. Don't acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts. Or, and he goes on to list a lot of other things. Um, I don't kind of want to stop there. I actually feel like, man, he hadn't died yet. He hasn't resurrected. And he gave them pretty strong instructions. You know, this hadn't even all happened yet. He gave them authority. Um, he said, go. He said, preach the kingdom, saying it's at hand, uh, which you know, it's about to really come to pass. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. I send you as sheep among wolves. He said, don't go to the Gentiles. This was before Christ died. You ever think about that? It's like, wow, those are some pretty powerful instructions, you know. That's pretty, pretty cool. He goes on, tells them all these things. I think, you know, don't act like idiots. Don't be like this. Don't do that, you know, and then right later, you know, then they're calling down fire and young people and God's like, oh gosh, I, Jesus, I can't believe I sent them out. What a disaster. I just told them all this stuff. And so I always think that's interesting. So let's go through a little bit here and we're going to kind of build on that. Uh, Romans 8.3. So what actually happened? We see that God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So Romans 8.1, we see that there is therefore, because of that, now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. 
Christ dealt with sin. You know, there is no condemnation anymore. Evil died, which is really, really cool. Um, how many have seen the movie The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? I figured that a lot of hands should go up. I've read it with my kids. I enjoy it. I like the movie. Uh, I actually think it's a really good depiction of what Christ did, and uh, C.S. Lewis was you know, writing that as a great writer, a great you know, theologian, trying to bring some correction to some of what got distorted over time about God, and you know, that God wasn't just this awful, horrible father who wanted to punish his son, you know, and we deserve punishment, and Jesus got beaten by the Father in our place, you know, some of these ugly themes that have come, come over the years. But we see even in that story, so you got Aslan as the Christ figure, is, is the Christ, you know, and um, entering into the world of Narnia. You know, Edmund gets deceived, right, by the witch. Uh, she falls into, you know, into her evil. And then we see Aslan is this amazing you know, figure, just kind of enter into Narnia, come into the world. Uh, and we never see anywhere that God demanded Aslan die or God demands Edmund die. You know, we don't see that in the story. The witch demanded that. You know, here you have Aslan coming in as a very, as a loving, regal, righteous lion, God figure, Christ figure. Um, I just think it's an amazing picture there. The Aslan willingly lays down his life. You know, the witch, witch executes Aslan, but she couldn't take his life. You know, he could lay down his life, and, um, you know, and then he rose. He, we know what happens to that story. He's resurrected. You know, the power of love breaks the stone table. Edmund's redeemed. The witch is destroyed. It's an amazing story, and it's really very accurate, I think, of you know, a good portrayal of what happens. Evil was broken. Uh, we see this God that is amazing that willingly lays down his life to free the victim, you know, to free the one, the, the one stuck in sin. Um, so in the Bible, we see a loving God who is in Christ on the cross reconciling the world to himself. That's the most amazing picture. God in Christ reconciling the world, you know, to himself. So I just think that's awesome. You know, if you get a chance, share that story with your children. I mean, it's a wonderful story. You know, we've read it. I was talking with my daughter this morning, and I was, you know, you know, you can be raised in church, and we hear these stories all the time, but sometimes it doesn't really get it. It doesn't really click. It's got to, like, you know, like Ralph said, you know, you got to believe. You got to have some encounter with God where it really becomes real. So we were even talking last night um, before bed, and I was sharing with her that story. I'm like, you know, the Easter story, it is about Christ laying down his life, and it's about the victory, you know, that he broke the power of sin. And man, what happened from that time for when Jesus was dead on the cross to when he raised? I mean, he went down to hell. He took the keys back. It was a victory, you know. It was a total victory. So it's so awesome. So what happened? You know, when we talk about this stuff, we see Jesus went into Hades, took the keys back, gave them back to humanity. The Adam, uh, Jesus was the sinless Adam who came and took authority back over the earth, gave it back from what Adam and Eve had lost. Jesus suffered, he was put to death, but he came out of the grave. And when he came out, he brought all the captives. He reconciled things to himself. He defeated the devil, and I think that is such a major theme. You know, that is so applicable to our life. You know, it's the power of sin, the power of darkness has been defeated. So if we look at some of these scriptures, Hebrews 2.4, and I think I have that on a slide back there, guys. 
Hebrews 2, 4, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. That's a pretty awesome scripture. I love that, man. So he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil. That's cool. Uh, we see another one. 1 John 3, 8, that the Son of God appeared for this purpose, yeah. that he might destroy the works of the devil. And man, he did it in such a way, like, you know, if I was there that day, I don't know if I would have put it all together, like his plan and what he was doing. And I mean, maybe if I was a part of it with one of his disciples and he's telling you, but I think he did it in a way nobody expected. You know, he came, what God would come and lay down his own life, you know, to break the power of sin, break the power of death, and then rise again. That God entered our world. He became man, you know. I mean, it's, it's impressive. I want to read this cool quote. This is from a, a really, really great theologian, N.T. Wright. I just think it's a really neat portrayal of kind of what happens. But So it says this, It comes down to a battle between Jesus as the pioneer of God's kingdom on earth is in heaven and the accuser, the Satan, the dark quasi-personal force bent on destroying God's work, God's kingdom, and God's world. And now God's son. The Satan does its worst, piling up false accusations, betrayals, and unjust judgments against Jesus. Evil, evil in this quasi-personal sense, grows at last to its full height. It reveals its true self in all of its horror. And at that moment, the divine sentence of condemnation is pronounced upon it, upon evil itself. So what the resurrection reveals, apart from the new creation, is that on the cross, evil itself was condemned. Pretty, pretty cool. On that note, I just have a little video that I want to show that I think highlights this that is very cool. It was a time when it seemed that no light was bright enough to drive darkness away. Traces of light would come and go, but sooner or later it all faded. In the end, darkness always won. But then came the sun, the light of the world, and with him came hope. He wasn't like the others. He thrived in the darkness. In fact, he had a way of turning it into light wherever he went. With his words, he made darkness and death run and hide. But darkness was crafty, and he found a loophole. He tricked people into doing his dirty work for him, and they turned on Jesus. They extinguished the only light that could drive out the darkness. Confused and misled, the people falsely sentenced Jesus to the most gruesome execution of all, death on the cross. The moment he was crucified, in the middle of the day, darkness fell over the earth. For three hours, the sun went into hiding. It was like darkness was celebrating, no longer afraid of light. 
You know, we don't have to be afraid of evil and darkness. You know, we just don't. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. <laughs> it was real quiet when I said that, like there was uncertainty. Um, you know, darkness is like the lingering effects of Satan's loss. You know, we still see it, you know, it's still out there. Um, you know, but I think, you know, when I see something like that, I'm reminded when we see evil manifest, we can just kind of look at it and say, you know what? You don't have a right to be here. You don't have a right to be here. Oh, thanks, Ralph. You know, it's just a matter of time. You are going down, you know. You're, you're, you guys have lost. Um, but I think it's interesting. Like, even after Jesus ascended and he went up, you know, into heaven, the disciples did not see the world change overnight, you know. And actually, look at, like, what they endured. They suffered. They went to prison. Uh, most, they were executed, really, pretty much almost all of them. Um, but they knew what happened was the victory, you know, do you, does that make sense? Like, in spite of what they didn't see change overnight, they knew there, there was a victory. They knew the victory, and it so affected their lives that they gave their lives for it. That's the most powerful thing. I think that's what God does in us. Is it's, uh, you know, Ralph talked last week about being born again, and when we're, when we're born again, and I was talking with my father uh, on it, and, you know, he got saved when he was 40. He came to know Christ at 40 years old. And he can remember, he's like, it was literally the next day, everything felt different. I looked at things differently. He's like, I was starting to say things that there's no way I would have said that. Like, maybe I don't need to drink alcohol. You know, or, you know, it's like, dad's like, I had no reason to say that. I don't know why. Something was different in me and I didn't need to, you know, struggle with things that I had struggled with or whatever. I mean, that's what starts happening in us is things start changing. Things start feeling different, um, you know, um, but we, you know, not everything changes even overnight with us. You know, it's like we got stuff we got to drive out. It's got to, you know, take some years sometimes for that sanctification process to happen in our life. Um, but I think it's, I think it's pretty cool. So that's what happened there with, uh, you know, with darkness. Let's talk a little bit about the new covenant. And we got some great resources here on this. You know, Jonathan's written pretty extensively on it uh, through Better Covenant theology. Uh, but the resurrection you know, inaugurated the new covenant. It's like, it's a really big deal. Let's talk about a, just a few aspects of this. Um, one was that a new way was opened through the new covenant. I mean, that's like a pretty big deal. Yeah. 
a really big deal is if you lived in that time and you didn't have access. Uh, we know that in Hebrews 10 it says, we have confidence now to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil. So we have a new way because of the new covenant. Uh, in Jesus, we're a new creation. We see 2 Corinthians 5.17 say that we're a new creation. Yet we're totally new. You know, this, we're part of the new creation uh, that you know, God came to restore. Now, divisions are broken down. You know, there's no, no favoritism in the kingdom. There's like big changes that happened, which is really, really cool. Did I go in the right order? Yes, okay, I did. Very good. Um, so we also see, uh, moving on to the next point, um, that through the cross, with the establishment of the co- new covenant, God created a new people. We're part of a new people. You know, it isn't, you know, Jew versus Gentile or, you know, Roman versus Greek or male versus female or this nation versus this nation or high class versus low class or the religious elite versus just the regular people. It's like, no, we're, we're all part of this new people. God did a new work. He did a new thing. You know, there's no favoritism in the kingdom. Walls have been broken down. Borders have been opened up. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. This is a really big deal. And I, I love the last one, too, that we live by the Spirit. So when Christ died, he inaugurated the new covenant. Now we don't live to an outward standard of the law. We live by the Spirit and the Holy Spirit in us. How many like that? I mean, yeah. I'm so thankful for that. We have God, God came to be with us. He poured out his Spirit. Now his Spirit's in us. Uh, so cool. You know, when Grace and John were talking, talking about it, I mean, that, this is basically what they're going to be helping you work out. It's helping you know the Father, how to live life by the Spirit, how to hear His voice. Yeah. It's, a, it's a big, big change. So really, really cool. I love the part, uh, Scripture, if we live by the flesh, or I mean kind of keeping the old law, it's like living in the former age. But when it says when we walk in the Spirit, you know, we live out blessings in the new covenant. You know, we live by faith you know, in the Spirit, which is really cool. Is new creation were the first fruits of the earth. God has begun renewing this world. And we talked, I talked about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about kingdom-minded and part of this, that we are agents of transformation here. Uh, we are, and we don't even have to say secret agents, we are his agents of transformation. I love all the Bourne movies and all that stuff, but we, we're not even that undercover. You know, I, I wouldn't mind, I like that part, but uh, I'm okay with that. But it's not a secretive thing. We are his agents of transformation. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you are there to bring heaven to earth, you know, to see the coming together of heaven and earth. Uh, whatever job you're at, if you're a stay-at-home mother, you're working with your kids, you are bringing heaven to earth. You're bringing the reality of the kingdom into their lives. It's pretty awesome. So our mission has gotten big. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, and, you know, we're far from complete. I don't know if anyone knows, but we are far from complete. I know John's going to talk about this next week, so I'm not going to hit it too much. Um, but we got some work to do, you know. It's like not, not everything changed overnight, we, we've got our mission. We've got work to do. Um, that, that's pretty, pretty cool work. So the first thing was to renew God's people through the ministry of Christ, and now it's our responsibility to work and to see the earth renewed. You know, we have a job to do. And, you know, I kind of get irritated when I hear people say, it's finished, I'm done. I can just relax in the love of the Father 
and that's where I'm going to stay my whole life. It's like, okay, that's wonderful. Like, I'm glad you've got that message down, you know, but we've got a work to do. We've got a mission. You know, it's not just all about us and us feeling good. It's, you know, there's, there's a world out there that needs to be impacted and touched. So it, it's great. You know, we can, we can, we know our sonship in Christ. We have that as our foundation. You know, we can enjoy the goodness of God, but it's so that it can go out. It's so that it can go out. So the new creation can begin. The new covenant is launched. People are sent into the world. That's what happened in the, in the early days in the first century. Our mission, though, goes far beyond, I think, even what they had during Jesus' time. It got enlarged. We're going to look at that. We're going to end there. But I, I hope this stirs us in a new way and ties it into what Jesus did on the cross. Um, but this is a great one. If you have your Bible, you can open to this. Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So he resurrected. He said this before his ascension, before he disappeared from them. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There's so much in that. But I also think it's really cool. Like, what did he command them to do? You know, he says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. What did he command them? Well, one major one is in John 15. John 15, 12 to 13. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. You know, he probably could have given them thousands of commandments. And in other religions, man, you've got lots of things to work through and prove and, you know, to attain. But he said, teach them all, you know, to obey what I've commanded you. And he said, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. He demonstrated it for us in the way he came into earth, the way he laid down his life. There's so much in that, I think, that we could unpack. Uh, but greater love has no one than this than one lay down his life for his friends. He didn't say, you know, um, go preach the gospel and you know, tell them all the things they're doing wrong and then drag them into church, then beat them over the head, and then give them the list of things that they're going to need to adhere to if this is going to work. You know, I mean, a lot of things he could have said. And I think some things we've ascribed him things that he said that he hasn't said. But he said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So I think that's really cool. So the ruler of that world was overthrown. I want to just end with a couple thoughts. And I actually want to just end singing that song we were doing because I just think that's so amazing, amazing love. So if the worship team wants to come on up. Um, but this is a great scripture. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself up for me. Wow, there's a lot there. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. We have that assurance. Uh, you know, we can, we can serve a God like that. You know, I'm happy to serve a God like that. 
I'm not happy to serve one that, you know, punished his son and, you know, I deserve to be beaten. Like, that's not the message of the gospel. I'm happy to serve a God who loved us enough to enter into our world and to take away the sin. And so healing could start happening to this world where it was tarnished, his sin had entered. And that's our mission now, is to extend that. And Christ left, he said, now it's your job to do it. I'm empowering you, I'm filling you with the Spirit, so go out and do it. And that's the life that we get to live, you know, it's, it's pretty awesome. So I want to end it there, and I just want to end it singing this song as we go out, just to say, wow, I mean, if there's anything I love singing on this day, it's like, your amazing love, you know, yeah. it's like God's amazing love. I love that song, we've been singing it for like, it seems like decades, <laughs> but it's still good. <laughs> Um, I just want to set the tone before we go because Beth will close it out because I'm going to be back on the bass and I won't be able to speak. Um, you go back to bass, you're not allowed to talk. That's the way it works. <laughs> just hold down the rhythm, you know. Right, Chandre? That's, that's what we do. We don't speak. <laughs> uh, next week, I just want to point out Jonathan Welton will be sharing here, speaking. I think it's going to be a great message. He just comes back from a conference uh, speaking with Bill Johnson. We really hope you enjoyed this week's message. Please join us again sometime and be sure to check out our exciting resources at newhopecom.org.